Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. This mini-series of The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with outdoor footwear brand Merrill. My guest in this episode is Dr Lucy Loveday. Lucy is a GP and medical educationalist, fell runner and wild swimmer who lives on Dartmoor. Her life is focused on the benefits of nature for mental well-being. And through her work as a doctor, she's developed evidence-based well-being toolkits and a green prescription to show how nature can help mental health. She's also the founder of Movement and the Mind, a conference exploring the connection between mind, body and planet. The outdoors has played a pivotal role throughout Lucy and her family's life, most importantly because of her father's struggles with severe depression. She's determined to spread the message that if you get moving outdoors in nature, the benefits to your mental well-being can be profound. I hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to listen out for Lucy's wonderful tips and advice for bringing nature and the outdoors into your life as well as the special sounds of nature at the end of this podcast episode. And if you're affected by any of the issues in this episode, there's a list of resources for help and advice on the Outdoors Fix website. So here's Lucy. Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the Outdoors Fix podcast. It is wonderful to have you. Um, We're talking over video call because of the current pandemic restrictions. I'm in my flat in London, but you are in your house in Dartmoor. What what an amazing place to live. I am, and thank you so much for having me, Liv. It's it's a joy to be connected through conversation. Um, obviously, a long time coming, really, and you've been really patient with me, but thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm, I'm in, um, well, the National Park, Dartmoor, and I can see, I'm looking out my window now, and I can see a horizon of green, fields and coming into spring I'll be able to see a blanket of purple from my window so I'm very very fortunate and I'm aware how fortunate I am to have that view. Oh wonderful and bluebells yeah I can't wait for those coming up as well they're one of my favourite favourite yeah, things. absolutely <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> oh well that's a beautiful place to live and you are a passionate fell runner and wild swimmer and I've been noticing that you've been swimming in your local streams and rivers recently and where do you do that and when and how does it make you feel? It's it's really interesting. I the, the wild swimming thing is feels quite a new kind of trend, and I guess I'm going to sort of just explain a bit of my journey on that. So uh, myself, my husband, and our little boy, we've been swimming in rivers for well, he's nine next week, so over nine years. And you know, answering your question, I actually created a photo book for my husband called Chasing Rivers. So we we kind of plan all of our I call them little adventures from home around rivers. So we've swam in lots and lots of rivers uh, across France and Britain, really, really focusing on Britain in the last four or five years. But locally, I can go on an adventure from my home and come back to you know my bed, which I think is really, really a, an important message to get through on this conversation. So yeah, two, three minutes walk from my home in the river, it's cold. <laughs> uh, it's. I, I went um, a couple of days ago, and I would. I, I don't have a thermometer with me, but I think it's probably about nine degrees Celsius. It's really hard to know for sure. I. I, I kind of want to check actually, 
in terms of how it makes me feel I always put my head under but again you know that's because I've done a lot of cold water swimming so you know I go in at the pace that's safe for me and I feel reset that is the word that I would really convey of how I feel um I'm really trying to get there now as I'm speaking to you because also the memory of how I feel is also very important to to hold on to through you know the busy days of work that follow in between swims so I feel reset I feel sort of cleansed over my whole body it's just a wonderful feeling being in water you know um and there's something that makes me feel alive it's really life affirming that real immersion in the water but in the outdoors um and the fact that it's free it is free you know so there's something really accessible about it so yeah it's a very special feeling and I feel like unless you've tried it it's really hard to put in words in some ways as well yeah, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place to do it. I've done it in the River Dart um, in Dartmoor. I think I went to Shara Pools, which was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all covered. Well, the place that I saw, it's all covered. Um, it's in woodland, isn't it? And the trees kind of hang over the river. Yeah. And what what a stunning spot. And no wonder you you love doing it. Yeah, in fact, that's that's a really interesting link, actually, completely uh, serendipitous, uh, Liv, is that's actually one of the reasons we moved to Dartmoor. So we relocated because we fell in love with the River Dart and it became almost an obsession, really, with the River Dart. And one of our holidays, um, my husband's a teacher, so, you know, holidays generally fall in the holidays <laughs> for school. We worked our way through along the River Dart so sort of camping and and really getting to know and develop a relationship with that river and it, for anyone listening it is an extraordinarily beautiful river and the bit that you talk about as you say is is unique in its own way you know it's got the the canopy of the wood um, and I'm smiling as I'm talking to you because I'm yeah like you've you've swam there so you know but it's just beautiful it's just beautiful yeah Lucy, you're a GP and you're particularly interested in the benefits of nature-based activity for mental health and well-being. And that's something that I really want to come on to in a bit about your career. Um, but firstly, where did this love of the outdoors come from? Did it start when you were younger? Were there lots of family outdoors adventures? Yeah, I, I've been asked that before and I, I am still on a journey to even try and work out where it came from. It feels like it's part of me increasingly so I'm 40 this year and I think this is just absolutely a part of me but actually if I do look back uh, for those people that might know a little bit about my work I do feel that there is a link to my dad um, and I think you know there's a real sort of strong link through gardening so when I was young dad would you know was pretty much self-sustainable in the garden really really skilled with that we always went camping so all of our holidays were in a tent I've got really really strong memory of <laughs> having a little you know this little low set barbecues outside a tent in Osmington Mills in Weymouth um, so I, I'm sure that well there is evidence from from studies to suggest that you know if you really instill that connection with nature in childhood it stays with you so I would never underestimate that, but I have to credit my husband as well um, for really being obsessional about wildlife, you know, really, really going 
into finding the rare and really beautiful species and with that and his love of rivers we've sort of planned all our holidays as a family so we've looked for all the butterflies that we could possibly find last spring on any walk uh, birds of you know the rarer birds we saw a lesser spotted woodpecker last Saturday for the first time which is just extraordinary oh, so there's a kind of journeying with my husband as well I think has been a real inspiration and given me confidence and courage to go to places I wouldn't have otherwise gone like even parts of a river so yeah I think it's been a journey you know different inspirations along the way really. And you just spoke about your dad then and so when did you realise that nature and the outdoors seem to have a positive impact on mental health and well-being? It, was it related to your father? It was very much linked to dad. So like watching him find solace when he went running in the outdoors, always in the outdoors. He was never a gym member or anything like that. And how he talked about that. He, he's still alive, but he's as I've shared in some spaces he's um experiencing severe depression relapse at the moment and he knows I'm I'm talking about his story but it's his story to tell so you know I can only tell it through my lens but yes um I saw him reap the benefits of movement in the outdoors and he very much when he's able to can now still walk and goes walking over the downs and he will, will tell me that that just feels feels good so um, my, my dad, when I was 11, was uh, hospitalised with a severe mental health uh, crisis and actually was in hospital for quite a long time. And looking back, that would have been the 90s. So actually, how brave and courageous of him to then come out of that experience and begin to talk about his mental health. He went on to develop what would now be more sort of common or familiar grounds but actually he went on to develop something called um mindfully employed with a local organization I can't remember all the details but it was all around routine gardening being outside and then more latterly uh, was really really involved with therapeutic working gardens in Swindon as a fundraiser and he's you know he's extremely modest but he has been relentless in the message of gardening nature connection I think without even realizing it he was awarded an MBE actually a couple of years ago for his voluntary wow. services to mental health so he's an extraordinary individual but actually yeah there's the yeah that's the link dad with dad's experience I have to bring my own personal story in now which I have not actually spoken of um, but I think as I'm hearing your question I'm thinking it, it is absolutely part of the answer I think I've personally been in spaces of grief and pain like so many people will have been and again we're all on our own journey but I have found profound comfort in being alone in nature uh, in 2012 I was uh, admitted to intensive care and yeah, I, I subsequently have uh, been sort of confirmed really as having secondary infertility, which for people listening is where you have one child, but you're unable to have more children. Um, and I think there's a balance, you know, when you're in a professional role of how much you share of your personal journey. And I think, you know, it is really, really personal. 
but sometimes it feels appropriate to talk about it because it can help someone else who might be on the same or similar journey to feel less isolated. I have certainly felt incredibly isolated and alone on that journey of grief. Um, and I've sometimes talked about it and I can only and I will always only talk from my, my lens. Um, but it's been interesting because on the times when I have shared, I have been over not overwhelmed I have been contacted by many 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 people who have said goodness I'm in the same you know I I've had a similar experience of secondary infertility and I think um what nature's given me through that pain and grief which I it, it's just given me a space to to be however I am without judgment I have gone out on walks alone and I have found myself crying and I can sort of feel the wind on my face and I can see the incredible like vista of kind of expansive space. And I just feel like it's really safe, really safe to let that, let that out. And I think, you know, coming back or, you know, to some things we've talked about, people who are in a distressed state, sometimes being with people can be too threatening. You know, it's not that they necessarily even know that, but I think that's what was happening or still happens for me. Being with people sometimes is just really hard. You have to have the words, you have to have it kind of distilled. You have to be quite confident to be with people. But nature, well, I always say we are nature. You know, it's not separate. Nature is like a, an ally. You know, it's just there. And I, yeah, that's what it's given me. I and I'm really talking from my heart now. You know, I've ne I've never actually spoken publicly, spoken publicly on this sort of level about why, why or what it's given me. But it still keeps being that space for me, and I think that's really um, a very, very, very special thing. Yeah, because I don't feel alone in nature. Is what I'm kind of getting at. You know. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Is that related, that, that kind of thinking about uh, how nature benefits mental health and well-being, is that anything to do with the reason you wanted to become a GP? That's really, yeah, it, I think it's an evolution. So I, I um, did the graduate course for medicine. So in a way, I took quite a, a convoluted, non-typical path to medicine. And I think to anyone listening that is thinking, you know, um, how did you get to where you are now? I think it's just about being really open to things as they come into your life. And yes, I've always advocated the natural world for well-being and health. And, you know, there's evidence we know there's so much established evidence now that physical activity is good for us, but physical activity in green and blue spaces has this sort of additional benefit. It's like a tonic for the mind. It's just, it is extraordinary. And yes, I, I'm sure somewhere it has informed my choice to go and um, work in spaces where in you know, some way there's a therapeutic aspect to, to what I'm doing or trying to advocate for sure, yeah. So go, going back to the evidence and what you just talked about, as a doctor then, for people who are less familiar, and we all kind of, a lot of us feel these benefits of nature on, on mental health, but what, what is the evidence for why nature is beneficial to our mental health? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think just to, just to sort of slightly throw out what people might be thinking as they're listening, they might be thinking, Lucy, 
and I've been asked this and it's good to ask this, the sort of cynicism of, isn't this just blindingly obvious, you know, nature is good for us. So I just want to slightly say, I, yes, it is, <laughs> uh, before I go into the evidence, just say, that is almost the whole point. It is so obvious, it is so intuitive, and that's exactly why it's exciting that there's an evidence base now coming because it gives credibility to hopefully driving this forward. So I just really wanted to make that, that clear that yes, people, we, we know this, we know this to be true. The evidence, there's, there's, there's different threads to that. So uh, the uh, let's just sort of think of a, of a way of explaining different aspects that are, have got an evidence base. So one is around forest bathing. Really, that means being in the presence of trees, you know, and just in, enjoying uh, being in the presence of trees. The Japanese teams have managed to demonstrate that trees and plants contain these organic volatile compounds called phytoncides. These compounds communicate and they have an effect at a cellular level on our immune system which is extraordinary. Now the studies are small, it's early days, but nonetheless, it's really exciting. So I think, you know, that, that's one field. There's another field around just that subjective feeling of well-being, because when we feel better, we live in a more full way and we function well. So there's a lot of evidence around just being in green space has an effect on our mental and subjective sense of well-being. There's also, you're probably aware of with the cold swimming coming out recently around dementia. Uh, there's so many different threads. Um, and there was, a, there was a big systematic review done recently by Bratman in 2019 and team. So I can, you know, if you, if you would like me to share some bits and pieces to signpost people to, I can, but yeah, there's different reasons why it's good for us. <laughs> And, and does it and it has a um, effect on on stress levels and reducing anxiety and depression? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, reducing our stress levels, reducing the hormones that kind of cause us to feel more stress, such as cortisol. And there's some really, really interesting, very early work being done by Professor Richard Taylor and his team about fractals. So uh, fractals are I'll show you this. I know people can't see, but a pine cone. So just try to imagine I'm holding a pine cone. So fractals are really abundant in nature. They're everywhere. And they basically refer to this really complex pattern that occurs on an increasingly finer scale. And you get these beautiful visual uh, patterns. And basically, mm. Richard Taylor and his team have shown that if you look at nature fractals, it can have an effect in a positive way on your neurophysiology. It, there are so many exciting things coming that actually just confirm at a cellular or a neurophysiological level how good nature is for us. I mean, I, it's, it's so nice to hear that. We, I think many of us, like I said, feel, feel all these things when we're outdoors and while we're hiking. But it's so interesting to hear about the sort of evidence base that's building to, to, to prove all of those Absolutely. things. Absolutely, yeah. And again, if people are interested to learn more, the European Centre for Environment and Human Health, which is just down the road from me, that you know, they're the people really leading and doing some, some really fantastic research in the field. So... Yeah, it's just it's just great to have that that synchronicity of the evidence with the intuition. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I need to say that you know, nature is not a cure all for mental health, of course. And I'm, we'll touch on maybe some resources later for for people who are struggling with their mental health. But it is something that is helping many people, isn't it? In terms of, like we said, anxiety, stress, and depression. Yeah, and thank you, Liv, for saying that. And I think again, I would absolutely say the same is that 
if you have mental health uh, problems or you are struggling in any way, obviously you need to seek professional help. Absolutely essential. We can share really credible, respectable resources to signpost you to as well. But yeah, nature is not um, the only thing. And certainly for my dad, it was part of a really comprehensive recovery plan with specialists, uh, medication and other things. So it's very individual, but uh, yeah, really important to touch on. But it's, I think what's been really interesting through the pandemic is the RSPB actually published a report called Nature uh, Recovering Together. And they did a survey quite early on, actually, in May last year. And they managed to really just highlight in, in numbers the way in which the value of nature had really come to the forefront so I think as you said it, it's it what it is helping people to feel better I guess the the thing that I'm so passionate about is about equity of access to green space and you know this is a difficult statistic but it's it's what they found in that report is that if you earn I think less than ten thousand pounds a year income in your household you're something like 3.6 times less likely to live near a green space. And obviously I need to, I need to get absolutely clear on the, on the fact there, but you know, there was something quite stark about household income and access to green space. So whilst we're talking about this, it's also about acknowledging that not everyone has that access mm. and that's, that's, that's not right. You know, um, there's yeah. a lot of work to be done, uh, but also it's hopeful because at policy level, I think people are starting to, to really look forward to how that can become a reality for people. Absolutely. And I, and I, I think we should definitely talk on that when we talk about your work in, in this field okay. a little bit more in a minute. So just going back to you personally, then nature and the outdoors, you, you're saying it helps your mental mm -hmm. health. How do you consciously fit that into your routine then? Is it something that you have to constantly remind yourself because I mean I know that sometimes I just forget that of course I need a bit of the outdoors but it it's something that sometimes you really just have to factor into your every day how does it work for you oh I love that question I've been asked recently what are your strategies you know and you're asking and I think okay I'll, I'll tell you I mean yeah I have I'm going to show you uh, again people won't see it but they can hear this a weekly planner okay I've never been that organized but I got it for Christmas and I've started, I put in, I don't just sort of decide exactly what I'm going to do in that time, but I treat it like a meeting with myself, with, with the earth, if you like. So for example, last, uh, this week on Tuesday, I put the morning one hour to go for a swim after taking my son to school. Now I'm in a very, very, very privileged position that I can manage my diary in that way. I know that, but that's how I do it. I treat it with the same urgency as I do the other parts and aspects of my health. And this is a new approach. So this is sort of a 2021 approach, but it's working really well to put it in my diary because I quite honestly, if I don't put it in, it, it, a bit like you were saying, it's sort of the days go and you think, I feel a bit sluggish. I feel a bit overwhelmed. Mm. You know, there's too many things going around my head and you just it's just a reminder so if about once or twice a week I will go for a swim in my diary or run or right. you know walk but just just me and the and, and that space 
So with, with running then, so you maybe get up to two swims a week, which sounds glorious. <laughs> um, the, the running then, I'd like to explore that. You, you're a fell runner, so you like doing obviously the trails, I assume, on Dartmoor. How, how often do you get to do that? And do you have sort of favourite spots around Dartmoor that you run and, and it helps you feel better? Yes, um, the running's been an interesting one. I'm going to be completely honest and say in 2017, I was really on it with the running. I was like running long not very long in ultramarathon terms but you know I was going for sort of nine to eleven mile runs regularly with a friend on the fells which is hard and I felt like I'd really transformed my running and it's gone like that I mean for those that are listening I'm sort of doing a wave with my like a wave yeah and so my runs now are different and I think I'm just being really kind to myself and they're not as um long they've become more about almost the mindfulness and the space than maybe trying to get really 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 uh super sort of fit with my running so now I go for about three to five miles if I can manage twice a week I feel that's really good alongside my swims and I tend to go there's a really beautiful path near me that if you run along it you get this real sense of space and you can see down into the valley and the river but from a you know high space um kind of around near Castle Drogo for people that might know of that spot but it's just beautiful see it's funny I'm smiling as I'm thinking of it because you can see the you know you can remember the view but there are so many yeah so many places that you can run almost without a plan around here really so yeah I'm on a bit of a journey with my running and someone who inspired me with the mindful running was um what my book here was William Pullen so for people listening um his book's great because it really brings the rhythm of running from body to mind and it's quite it's a lovely book so yeah I'm trying to sort of do do more mindful running. When did you realise that you wanted your work to be based around the impact of nature and mental well-being? I think I've been really building in this space very deliberately and intentionally for about four years I'm talking like really kind of actively developing programs and relentlessly seeking out conversations and opportunities to really bring this into mainstream. So I would say four years, but in 2019, influenced, in, inspired, whatever the word you want to put to it, by so many leaders in the field about the urgency of the reality of the climate crisis. I just thought, actually, I want this to be my life mission. And I made a decision to, I didn't have an idea of where it would go or all the answers. I think that's really something that's come through. I just made a decision to commit completely to it and see what happened. What was the driving motivation? If we could just go over that again, what was the why? I think, you know, uh, I've worked in general practice and I was seeing young people coming in, consulting in distress. And I can only talk from I, I felt that there were, not always the options to offer those young people in the community setting and having personally experienced the benefit of nature for myself, my mental health, my well-being, I felt it would be worth trying (laughs) to create a solution in mainstream that could be offered to those young people as part of a comprehensive programme, which again we've alluded to, you know, it's not the only Uh, pathway to recovery or reintegration but I think it was hugely influenced by those young people uh, on my journey as a doctor. 
That's really interesting. So you think that perhaps had they been given the suggestions of spending time in nature and doing those types of things, do you, th you think that potentially that would have really helped them? Yeah, I think it's really complex and I think sometimes it can be oversimplified. So again, I am going to sort of just briefly draw out that, you know, the wider determinants of health are, are many and, you know, Michael Marmot, uh, Professor Michael Marmot has demonstrated that the gap between rich and poor is a part of the problem of why people are even in that position. So I'm not for one moment suggesting that if they've been given the option of, an, you know, access to nature, then their lives would be completely sorted. I just could see that they hadn't been given that opportunity and that that was one stream of connecting human health with planetary health for a more sustainable future. So it's this sort of sense of we protect what we love. And, you know, there's uh, there was a survey done very recently just that you know if you have connection with nature you're more likely to engage in eco-friendly behaviors as well so this is a complex conversation in a way and it's a real it's a real privilege to be having it with you today Liv but yes I think part of the solution for the future generation so I'm not even talking in my lifetime I'm talking the future generation is to really give opportunity and equity of access to green space so that people can experience that it is wonderful and it you know it can be life-changing and it can be transformative for people. Mm -hmm. So in your work as a GP and a medical educationalist you've developed programs to show how nature can help mental health so one was your nature well-being toolkit for the lost gardens of Heligan and that's a beautiful set of gardens in Cornwall. What was in that toolkit and what did you hope that it might achieve? Oh, yeah, that was a fantastic opportunity to collaborate with the Lost Gardens of Heligan, really in a consultancy role. I delivered the staff well-being uh, there and then worked with them on a, a seasonal programme. The well-being toolkit is really about making nature accessible. So, again, it's this sort of thing of if you cannot get out to nature, then bring nature to you. So I think one of the simplest things you could do, which is alluded to in the toolkit, is to buy a bird table or a bird feeder and just watch, you know, draw on all the senses. I call it a symphony for the senses, but you know, there is evidence that listening to birdsong has an effect on how we feel in a positive way and our stress levels. Maybe plant a few herbs in a pot, you know, this the smell of particularly rosemary. Oh, I could go, I could go on for hours, live about the different things, but that wellbeing toolkit was about making nature accessible to everybody. Uh, and it's this sense of take what you need. So the toolkit, you know, not everything works for everybody and not everyone has access to everything, but there was enough selection in there that you could sort of dip in and out. I've talked a bit about fractals, which I've, I've, I've mentioned, and, and also using mindfulness. Uh, so really applying mindfulness to nature, because I think sometimes mindfulness can feel like something that is not for everyone and people can maybe have this perception you have to sit silently with your hands like this and eyes closed and actually that's that's not what it is and I, and I often apply mindfulness and I talk about this a lot to anyone that knows me I, I apply it to journeying in nature so I'll go on search for a butterfly and in doing that I'm so focused on finding that butterfly <laughs> that I am 
really brought alive to, I call it every possibility in the landscape in that moment. So that's mindfulness as well, because you're just in the moment and you're not judging your thoughts and it's compassionate and you're, you're just breathing in and out and you're journeying with that, you know, seeking. So um, yeah, the, the toolkit was about that, just, just giving ideas really to people. <laughs> And a beautiful place, I'm sure, to have to have spent a few days there working in the Lost Gardens of Halligan. I mean, it's stunning, isn't it's it? It's incredible, yeah. It's absolutely, if anyone is, you know, obviously with the restrictions as appropriate and permitted, but if anyone can can visit, I really recommend it. It's, it's very special, yeah. And they've got um, the Willoughby Pines, which obviously were affected in the Australian bushfires, and they've got some Willoughby Pines there. So, you know, really, really endangered tree species, which just such a privilege to be able to see. You've also um, developed a green prescription in collaboration with the Woodland Trust and can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure yeah that will be launching the second stage of the feasibility this spring for delivery in June Um, and then we're looking for longer term funding (laughs) and that's a reality for so many projects but that's really really um, again a total joy so in one of my roles, I'm a training programme director. So my heart really lies in education, training and social justice. And I designed a resilience programme and worked with a woodland tutor and we piloted it in 2018 to young people from uh, backgrounds of multiple disadvantage. And it's, yeah, it's a sessional programme. We're in the development stage very much so, but we're really, uh, looking and hoping and intending to to be able to demonstrate the value of that program um, and you know working with the CCG to to see how we can take that forward to make that a reality a real offer for people. What would the elements of the program be I mean what would be the green the green prescription? Yeah so it's not so uh, someone did ask me recently uh, about this and I think they might have thought it was a piece of paper that was green that that had some tips on it it's not that it's um, yeah. it's a very experiential program um facilitated uh by myself and experienced woodland tutors and basically just going on a journey there's different concepts that you know the framework is hung on but we do uh, some mindfulness we do um, journeying in the natural space so really l- concentrating on connecting to our bodies and our minds um fire some fire building there's a little bit of conservation uh work that we we explore learning about different animals there's poetry there's the creative arts brought in it's it's a really multi-component program actually and thank you for asking about it because it's nice to share <laughs> so all of these programs and also you you did a conference in 2019 called movement and the mind where you brought together experts and leaders in the field to discuss the benefits of moving and, and well-being and i and i think there's there's maybe hopefully some more to come with that what are you hoping to achieve with all this work what's your ultimate aim I view myself as a window so this is not about me this is about a lifetime mission that will continue way past my life and I want to achieve a paradigm shift within mainstream healthcare where nature is placed at the heart of a way forwards for humanity and the planet And whatever that looks like and feels like, that is absolutely central to all that I do. And often it's through conversations and just planting seeds 
of hope and people just being given spaces to think differently about how things could be done. It's about living it, it's about advocating it, it's about empowering those young people that the programme is going to ultimately be co-designed with to, to feel that connection to the planet so that they care about it. So yeah, there's it all falls under one umbrella of connection, nature and movement and this sense of interdependence. And movement in the mind is coming back. It's it, really people listening, please, please, please stay connected. It's coming back and that's really exciting on Friday, the 18th of June. And it's going to be virtual and there's opportunity in that because that means we can take that conversation to the world. So. I, I can't wait to share that with everybody. Um, it will all be on my on my page, you know, as soon as it's live. But that is part of the mission is to bring lots of people together to move away from silo working. You know, everyone doing wonderful work, but in quite a fragmented way. And so I call it sort of taking the intelligence into action. So, you know, it's a conversation with it with a conscience you know we're, we're really talking in that in that event which is going to be really really fun and a real opportunity for anyone who's interested to be part of something uh bigger but yeah we're really talking about how can we take all this evidence and make it into uh, meaningful action oh it's wonderful to have something that drives your career and drives your well you, i mean that you know it's passion and career isn't it yeah the two are, yeah i'm very very i'm, I'm in an in a interesting space where I've, the more i trust and the more i just keep listening you know that kind of creating spaces just to listen things are evolving and you know yeah I really hope people can listen and trust themselves as well on the journey you know. If there's one place locally near where you are where the outdoors feels the most special for you where is that where would you picture yourself right now? Yeah I'm, I'm actually picturing myself there because that's just how I am I think it would be up on Kestor, being given the opportunity to even think where you would picture yourself is a, is a privilege. Yeah, I'd be up there. There would be one of my most loved colours, which is when the sunlight hits the corn and it's moving and the wind is going and it's just that sort of lovely feeling of uh, gentle. Gen it's very gentle. Um, that was that would be where I would be, be up on Kestor, looking out at that hue of gold, just the gentle sway of the Corn. Oh, beautiful spot. <laughs> so, Lucy, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures? There are many, many, many people, but three. Okay, so I'll give you three. Uh, I've talked about my husband. I think he has to be on there. Can I have four? <laughs> I mean, I might give you a cheeky extra one. Yeah. My husband's on there, okay? Because he is just absolutely awesome at giving courage and confidence and reading OS maps and just so many things. Rob, Robert McFarlane, uh, the writer. Mm, the yeah, author. and I'm sitting yeah. here with my book, The Wild Places. It is absolutely thumbed and it is, you know, damp from when we've taken it on our on our adventures. Rob, Robert McFarlane, um, he he evokes this love of Britain's wilderness and it's about you know having adventures in Britain and I absolutely think he has just sparked something in me and, and introduced me to new places to explore that book is wonderful um, and he is wonderful in his writing 
So Robert McFarlane, I'd say Rosie Swale Pope, who I'm very proud to call a friend. And I know Rosie, uh, I, I really hope she, she can listen to this. Rosie, for people that don't know, is a 74 year old lady, but she has run around the world. She is, and, and, and she, was, she was grieving when she did that. And her book is amazing. It's amazing. And she, I can't, I just can't say enough words of how incredible Rosie is. Age is just not something that she perceives as a barrier. She lives her life. She's fearless. She's extraordinary. And she's a woman. And I love, I love everything that she does with her, you know, her moving around the world. And I saw her at a night of adventure. I think it was Alastair Humphrey's um, charity evening. And she was giving a talk. She is one of the most amazing people to go and watch talk yeah, live. Yeah. The energy and the stories about her adventures, I, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. You can't listen to Rosie and not smile. Like she is a, she is incredible. And I think, yeah, just, oh, I read her book in like a day and I don't often manage to read, you know, it's that sort of story. Um, and then I'm thinking actually Ellen MacArthur, I'm thinking of a book I read when I was really oh, yes. young uh, and just thought, oh my goodness. So, and it's this sense of possibility and Ellen MacArthur, I'm talking sort of when I was young, you know, young kind of reading this thought. She went out and she just did it in this big wide ocean. And she told her story. And that that must have done something, you know, for me as well. So I think all these people telling their stories is really inspirational. Ella MacArthur, she, she was a sailor. She sailed around the world. I remember also when I was younger, really looking up yeah. to her and just thinking, gosh, the guts to do the that. Guts. Amazing. Yeah, just incredible. But yeah, so, so many inspirational people. So Lucy, tips for people who want to get outdoors more and, and potentially how to sort of motivate yourself to get outdoors for your mental well-being? Uh, I've got many tips and again, you know, stay in touch if you need more. <laughs> but I would say change, change the way you're doing things. You know, we're working from home more than ever. And I think we've slipped personally into this sort of habitual everything is on zoom and on a screen and for people that do know me, I say get off your screen and get into the green. That is my you know mantra so take the meetings off the screen take them out do a walk and talk yeah so if you look forward to your diary and you think my whole week is on a screen in zoom there's no reason for it needs to be you don't need to always see people we're not primed to always be able to see ourselves talking to someone else it's not normal be bold take the meeting off I do that all the time uh, within the guidelines yeah so take your walk for the day and make it a walking meeting um, and another tip is, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but go in search of something so it's not about you. So if you're living on your own, it is really, really hard to motivate yourself to get out and move sometimes. And actually, even if you're not living on your own, that is a real challenge. So think, what do I want to see today? Uh, and then make that your almost like little mini adventure. And then you become more about that that movement becomes more about the journey and finding something okay just take your camera your phone camera uh, and create a little photo diary so make it really a project so take we, we did this the other day with with the colleague we were living in separate places we made a walk and talk and we both took five photographs on our on our walk we didn't talk and then we shared them after so be accountable to someone 
okay and i do understand that not everyone has someone but if you do try to be accountable to them and say let's go on a walk separately and share our photographs of what we find just two or three photos if you're on your own as i said before and this actually maybe this is the method tip this is the third tip sorry you're not alone in nature okay and that is so if you are feeling lonely and you are alone go out and do a so i call it a sonar radar because it's inspired by joe harkness who wrote bird therapy and if you can hear if you're able to hear okay sit and draw a circle and write on the circle the things you can hear in your proximity okay it's an amazing idea from joe and i have asked if i can share it and credit him but so there's ways of connecting with something other than people and just try and reframe it and share what you find you know share with with your you know with friends family colleagues we need to change the narrative you know nature is is connection Lucy, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing all of that with me. And it's been just wonderful to hear about how the nature and the outdoors is so much part of your personal journey in life and then how it's influenced your, your work and career. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I really, really hope that we can move in the natural world together in, you know, in the future. And just thank you for creating this podcast. I think it's really important. So thank you so much. Not at all. I think there's a wild swim coming in Dartmoor together at some yes, point. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Lucy's episode. I absolutely loved my chat with her. You can see photos of Lucy's outdoors life on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at the Outdoors Fix. You'll also find her on Instagram at Dr. Lucy Loveday. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, there are lots of other episodes with guests to get inspiration from. People like Tolga Actus, who was an electrical engineer and he retrained to be a conservationist. Just have a browse through the dozens of previous episodes. If you like the Outdoors Fix podcast, it would be brilliant if you could rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and if you could tell your friends and family about it to help spread the word. Now this is a bit of a different Sounds of Nature for you. I'm taking you on a little bit of a walk in the Chilterns because this is my new home. So after 10 years living in London, dreaming about the countryside, finally moved out which just feels like such a luxury so I'm doing a walk through some fields uh, beautiful parkland actually near um, a house in the Chilterns called Rothamstead and uh, full, full of beautiful green fields it's spring so the trees are budding there's blossoms daffodils around and there's a little bit of birdsong not a huge amount but hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it.
This episode of The Outdoors Fix was supported by outdoor footwear brand Merrill. Merrill is launching a year-long campaign called Hashtag Step Further to encourage people from all walks of life to get outdoors on a micro-adventure to experience the benefits for both their physical and mental health. 